Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Rabbi Abby Soslin. Today we are learning Masechet Beitzah, Daf Chaf, page 20. Our Daf continues the discussion about the Machloket between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, which we read on the previous page. What was their actual debate? As we remember, the Mishnah had presented two sides. Beit Shammai allows Shlamim to be brought on Yom Tov, but it does not allow smicha, leaning, or the bringing of olot, sacrifices. Beit Hillel allows shlamim to be brought with leaning as well as olot. We studied this yesterday. But today we continue the discussion, and the Gemara wants to know why did each side hold its opinion. The whole daf is filled with classic shakla vitaria, the classic give and take of the Talmud. It will definitely require the use of thumbs. There are always a variety of methodologies that could be used to explain why any rabbi might hold a particular opinion. Many different ways that a case can be presented. One way is to use a biblical source. We saw this yesterday. Ula understood the machloket between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel as being based on the way that each school read the biblical text. Or today we see and the thumb moves to the right. Or perhaps the machloket is based on different Tana Erech texts. Our daf brings several breitot, Tana Erech texts from the years 70 to 200, which suggests reasoning for Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Maybe the two schools agree that one can bring shlamim and even lean on them, and that leaning smicha is necessary for bringing a, sh- a shalem, a korban shalem, in the middle of Amud Aleph. Amar Rabbi Yossi, lo nechleku beit shamayu beit hillel al hasmicha atzma. They did not disagree on whether leaning is necessary. Shetzarich, al ma nechleku, what is it that they did disagree on? Al techef lesmicha shchita, on whether the leaning must come right before the actual slaughtering of the animal. Shebeit Shammai Omrim Einot Tzarich, Beit Shammai said, no, it doesn't have to come immediately before the slaughter. Uveit Hillel Omrim Tzarich. Beit Shammai would say that one can do leaning even the day before. And so therefore, one should not do leaning or smicha on Yom Tov. Beit Hillel say that the leaning must be done immediately before the shechita. So, of course, it would be permitted to be done on Yom Tov, right before the Korban Shalem is brought. Or maybe a different reading of the argument, another thumb. Lo nechleku Beit Shammai Beit Hillel al techef shechita. No, they actually did not disagree on the fact that smicha needs to be right before shechita, what they actually argued about is al hasmicha atzma on leaning in the first place, whether shlamim needs smicha at all. 
So these are different readings of two breitot that the Gemara tries to bring in order to understand the machloket between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. But then, without really coming to a conclusion, the Gemara continues with a different kind of argument. Instead of quoting a biblical source as we did yesterday, or a Tanaitic source as we did on our daf above, the Gemara brings precedent, a ma'aseh. Ma'aseh b'Hillel hazakain, a story that is told about Hillel the elder. This ma'aseh presents an alternative way of proving a case, a legal precedent where an incident from actual life helps us to see what has been done and helps to teach the law. This, a story is told about Hillel Azaken, who brought an Ola to the temple courtyard on Yantif, and he leaned on it. Now, the question is, is this a real precedent? Different possibilities are brought as to how Hillel's action was regarded by Beit Shammai and different observers at the time. So now we've seen the Gemara bring different kinds of sources to try to understand the Machloket, often leaving us without an exact conclusion. And we've seen the Gemara bring a legal precedent with a number of different possibilities as well. On Amod Bet, we see yet a fourth form of Talmudic understanding, not based on a biblical source or a Tanaitic source or even on precedent, but on Deen, on Talmudic logic. Abba Shaul Omra Bilshon Acharet. Abba Shaul says the reason for Beit Hillel's argument is based on a different reason. He bases it on a kalvachomer, a logical argument known as an a priori argument. One thing is smaller than another, and so therefore we can assume a larger situation by the smaller situation. My favorite of these Kalvachomer arguments appears in the middle of the next Amud, in the middle of Amud Bet. Abba Shaul Omra Bilshon Acharet, Uma Bimkom Shekirat Chastuma, Kirat Rabchaptucha, just as or if in the case where your stove is closed and your master's stove is open, in a place where your stove is open, shouldn't it be the logical, that your master's stove should be open as well? That is, we know that on Shabbat, when your stove is not used, the master's stove, that is the altar where temple sacrifices are brought, the stove is being used. So doesn't it make sense? Enodin, isn't it logical to assume that on Yom Tov, when your stove is being used, where you are permitted to cook for Ochel Nefesh, shouldn't it be the case that your master stove then would be used as well? This is a logical inference that can be made from an a priori argument. So the Gemara goes on, Vechan Bedin, and so too it is also logical. Shelo Yehei Shulchancha Malay, it would not make sense for your table to be full. Vishulchan Rabcha Rekan, when your master's table is empty. On Yom Tov, your table is filled with cooked food because, of course, it is permissible to cook. 
So too, it would make sense that when your table is full, your master's table, that is the table at the temple, should be full too. And so this argument tries to explain why an olat re'aya could be offered. Each of these types of explanations focuses on a different element of the Mishnah. But within one page, we've seen four different kinds of Talmudic argumentation. Argumentation from biblical sources, argumentation from Tanaitic sources, an argument from precedent, and an argument from logic. We end our page not only with no clear halakha, but also with no clear consensus on what the machloket between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel was even about. <laughs> But the process in itself is part of the fun, or at least it's supposed to be, that is working through the variety of forms of Talmudic argumentation. The rabbis understood this form of Talmudic study to be one of the holiest things a person could do. Once again, we are reminded of the mind-bending puzzle that is the Talmud. Who needs lumosity or other brain-challenging games to keep the brain young? Studying Talmud, keeping all the different arguments straight, and following the line of thinking of the rabbis should certainly have the same effect. But there may be another purpose as well. If spirituality is a way of getting outside of oneself and one's own small little world, then entering into a labyrinth of arguments may be a powerful way of doing that. Getting outside of ourselves and stepping into a world of our people's history as well as a world of holy puzzlement. This is part of the wonder of the Talmud, and it's the reason I keep coming back. I will see you tomorrow. Look forward to it. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.